God's Word. Get your Bibles out and you can begin to turn to Matthew's Gospel. I'm going to be reading out of chapter 2 here in just a moment. I do want to just mention as we complete our final installment, this is week 4. This is our last message on our Christmas series that I entitled, Don't Let Your Grinch Steal Christmas. And we've been dealing with what I've called our inner Grinch. That's in all of us. And uh, before I, I, I talk a little bit more about that, I just want to say, I said it at the beginning, and I want to say just as we are, are completing, just thank you to all the folks that, that helped pull all of this together. And uh, again, there were so many people on ladders, uh, putting up ribbon, packaging things, uh, uh, cutting out things. Uh, Pastor Noah, Tyler, we're here, M- Mary Hoffman. Uh, with her artist skills, it's just amazing. And uh, I mean, I think the whole youth group was here. I, if I mentioned all the, the youth, I'd probably leave somebody out. So, so guys, forgive me. But I would, they're, they're, everybody would just participated in snowflakes and just turn this place into Whoville for me. And uh, I'm, I'm just really pleased how it turned out, and it just made it a, a unique and festive occasion for us to enjoy. And we'll get to enjoy it a little through Christmas Eve as well. But if you don't mind, can we just tell them how much we appreciate it? In fact, before you clap, wait, wait, hang on. Anybody that was here and did anything in this room, this is how I'll do it. If you were here, if you were here for five minutes and helped click off a piece of tape, all right, that way I I won't miss anybody or diminish anybody's input, would you just stand up for a minute if if you laid hands on anything in this sanctuary and you just give them all a hand clap. All right, guys, we appreciate it. Thank you very, very much. We've been talking about our inner Grinch, and if you look on the screen overhead, the inner Grinch we've used as our uh, metaphor to illustrate what we would know as the carnal nature, what we would know as the flesh. The Bible uses both of those terms to define uh, what we know as our sin nature or our propensity As we've been born, and all of us are born in this predicament, all of us are born with this propensity to sin. Now, the carnal nature, go ahead to the next slide, guys. The carnal nature, if we could boil it down to its irreducible residue, if we could boil it down to what exactly is it, uh, it is, at its most basic level, it is selfishness or self-centeredness. And so if you ever wonder what sin is, I mean, sin is not just what you do. And Because sometimes folks say, well, well, why in the world is this wrong? Why did God decide this was wrong? And why did God decide that this was wrong? And why did he call this sin? Well, it's not just because he was, you know, one day thinking of all the things that he could declare to be sin. And he just said, well, I'll just decide this and this and this. But anything that had to deal with self-centeredness or selfishness at its foundation is sin. And so... We obviously know great sins and we could enumerate all the things we might think in our mind were great evil sins. But yet at the same time, there can be the the small or accepted sins. All of it's rooted in the flesh. All of it boils back to our selfishness. Now, we've already mentioned, and again, I'm just making quick reminders to everybody. You cannot be delivered from the flesh like you can be delivered from a demon. As we've said all through these weeks, wouldn't it be great if someone would just come by, lay hands on us, pray for us, just work with us somehow, some way, and we could somehow get delivered from our flesh. But that's just 
not how it works. It is true that if you're, if you're tormented or if you're bound with a devil, that can be cast out. But the flesh is dealt with in another way. It's dealt with through the cross. And you must enter into that dealing. You must enter into what Galatians 2.20 says, being crucified with Christ. So we've been dealing with that all through the Christmas season. And we've been using people out of the Christmas accounts in order to illustrate uh, selfishness as well as selflessness. And we've been having a little fun with the Grinch. And uh, I've been even hearing from people in the congregation as the Grinch cartoon or the Grinch movie has come out through uh, whether it's television or cable or whatever it is. People have been experiencing the Grinch. And so uh, this morning, I thought, just by a, a different sort of a way, because the first week, you know, we, we, we gave you sort of a live Grinch, the first and second week. And the first week, we also had a little cartoon. And so what I wanted to do was, I just wanted to give the cartoon another splash. And I wanted to run the theme song. One of my... You, my favorite songs is the theme song of the Grinch. And you know, really, it's the theme song. I call it the theme song of the flesh. If you listen to it real carefully, you'll see where the connection comes in. So guys, if you're ready to play the clip, play the clip, play the theme song, and watch the screen overhead. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a heel You're as cuddly as a cactus You're as charming as an eel Mr. Grinch You're a bad banana with a Greasy black peel You're a monster Mr. Grinch your heart's an empty hole Your brain is full of spiders You've got garlic in your soul, Mr. Grinch I wouldn't touch you with a 39 and a half foot pole You're a vile one, Mr. Grinch you have termites in your smile You have all the tender sweetness of a seasick crocodile, Mr. Grinch Given the choice between the two of you, I'd take the seasick crocodile You're a foul one, Mr. Grinch you're a nasty, wasty skunk Your heart is full of unwashed socks Your soul is full of gunk, Mr. Grinch The three words that best describe you are as follows And I quote Stink, stank, stunk You're a rotter, Mr. Grinch you're the king of sinful sots Your heart's a dead tomato splotched with moldy purple spots Mr. Grinch Your soul is an appalling dump heap Overflowing with the most disgraceful assortment of deplorable rubbish imaginable Mangled up in tangled up knots You nauseate me Mr. Grinch With a nauseous super nos 
You're a crooked jerky jockey and you drive a crooked horse, Mr. Grinch. You're a three-decker sauerkraut and toadstool sandwich with arsenic sauce. My uh, family let me know this week that, unbeknownst to me, it sounded as if I was saying Dr. Zeus when it's Dr. Seuss. So if I've been saying Zeus, that's a Greek god that doesn't exist. (laughs) Seuss is an author who certainly did exist, and uh, he wrote the story of the Grinch. Now, I mentioned to you, I think the theme song of the Grinch is really the theme song of the carnal nature, and it all boils down to selfishness. Selfishness. And the first week, we talked about how we needed to get to know our inner Grinch. We needed to understand that there's this thing inside of us that causes us to be selfish. The second week, we talked about how God will reveal your inner Grinch. And if you don't think you'll ever get caught in your selfishness, God will always, always find a way to push a button and reveal in you your selfish tendencies. And last week, we began to talk about how there are times we feel like we have a right to feel like a Grinch. We've been done wrong. Something's unfair. There's been an injustice that has happened in our life. And so certainly you would think we would have a right to be that way. And we're going to wrap it all up this morning with what I've entitled Overcoming Your Inner Grinch. Overcoming Your Inner Grinch. And I want to read to you another account out of the Christmas story in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2. Did you find it? Are you there? Matthew 2, verse 1. Matthew 2, verse 1. Listen to what... We read, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we've seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, For thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they'd seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they'd opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, They departed for their own country another way. We're talking about overcoming your inner Grinch. Now here in Matthew chapter 2, we find an account that focuses on what we commonly refer to as the visit of the wise men. Now most of us are fairly familiar with the wise men. We're either familiar with them through the song. Most of us have heard the song, We Three Kings 
of Orient are. If you've not heard the real version, you've usually heard the, the grade school corrupted version of we three kings of Orient are tried to smoke a rubber cigar. You probably have heard that somewhere. Never heard that one. Well, you've missed probably a notable rendition. If you've, not, if you've not heard of any of that, then undoubtedly through the traditional nativity scenes, you've noticed the wise men usually there with their camels kneeling around where Christ was born. Now I want to tell you a little bit about what we know and about what we don't know about these wise men. Number one is there may have been more than three of them. No actual number is given in the scripture of how many showed up to visit with Jesus and Mary and Joseph. Many people have implied that because there were three gifts that are mentioned here, there must have been three wise men. In fact, early legend, I was just kind of reading back and studying up on it. Early legend said there were 12 of these wise men. But through the years, because of the gifts, I would suppose, three has become sort of ingrained in the psyche of most people. In fact, there's one legend that even gave them names of Casper, Melchior, and and Balthazar. And again, we don't know if those were their names or not. The Bible's really silent on this, so we don't know exactly how many of these people showed up that day. Number two, they may not have been wealthy kings. Now, this was just a guess because these gifts were pretty costly gifts. They were extravagant in what they presented to the baby Jesus. In fact, if you were to read the original language, the word they used there for wise men is not one that you could really translate that way or even translate king. It's the word magi, and some of you probably have heard that as well. The magi showed up, and from what we can understand about magi, they were a tribe of teachers. They were a tribe of instructors. Usually they instructed kings, or they taught royalty, and uh, they did this in Persia. And for those of you that don't know your ancient maps, Persia is what is now known as Iraq or Iran. We know of them that they were skilled in philosophy, they they knew science, some medicine. They particularly understood the sky or astronomy. Unfortunately, in later years, the Magi fell into disrepute as they began to turn to sorcery and uh, even astrology, which the Lord uh, eventually condemned. And so they were Magi. How many? We don't know. Number three, they were probably not in the manger scene. Now, I, I hate to mess up your nativity scenes right now and as nice as nativity scenes are and i've got one in my house and we've got one out there in the foyer but the bible doesn't say that they came to the manger if you'll read that carefully the bible tells us that they came to the house where jesus was living so your nativity scenes are cute but they're probably not as accurate as they need to be in fact because of herod's decree to kill the infants Two years old or younger, you'll recall that, that Herod wanted to know where they were. They found the Lord and, and then they were divinely warned in a dream to get out of Dodge. And then Herod's decree came out to kill all the children two years of age or under. Probably Jesus was about two years old when they showed up to actually visit him. That almost kind of ruins things, doesn't it? When you, isn't it just terrible that the Bible will ruin you? I, I mean, there's, you know, it's like the old phrase that, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness. It may be true, but it ain't in the Bible, all right? So, so we're just trying to be accurate here. And then finally, number four, what we do know is, is that they were incredible examples of selflessness. We may not know who these men are exactly, 
but it is clear on what they did. They were able to overcome the nature of self-consumption, self-centeredness, selfishness that was inside of them. And on various levels, they become important players in the Christmas story. In fact, if, if you've never heard, I, I have a, a theory of my own as to why the Magi were sent to Mary and Joseph. My theory is that these uh, Magi brought these gifts. In fact, I believe they were led of the Lord to bring these gifts to Joseph and Mary. Because when Herod made his despicable, despotic decree to kill all the young children, as you'll recall... Joseph and Mary had to hightail it out of there as well, and they had to go to Egypt for several years. And so I believe that they were sent to finance that trip to Egypt. I I mean, none of them knew that this was going to happen. Joseph and Mary were just kind of going along with the census decree that went out from Caesar Augustus. They didn't know they were going to have to take a, a long detour out of this. And so here Joseph is, a displaced carpenter. He had to leave his business. He went to a new area. Anybody that starts up a business in a new area knows how tough it is to kind of break into the market. And so all of a sudden they're going to be displaced again to go to Egypt. And I believe those magi came with those gifts. That was literally the provision of the Lord underwriting this trip that they were about to go on. But what struck me more than the wise men and all the things that I'll mention here in just a second, there were three other groups of people who are also mentioned in this particular passage that exhibit some of their nature as well. And I want to talk about them before we move past them too quickly. The first one was King Herod. King Herod, probably better than anyone else, represents the selfishness of power and prestige and privilege. Now, through the years, I've taught on Herod before. In fact, some of you may remember during a Christmas several years ago, I talked about the spirit of Herod in the land. But Herod, as you will recall, uh, had some real mental and emotional issues. I mean, he was insanely suspicious. He was probably clinically paranoid. What we know from history is this, is that Herod was so fearful and he functioned in his phobias uh, so deeply that he actually killed anyone and everyone around him that would even get close to even presuming that they could somehow undermine or betray him. So he ended up killing his wife, he killed his mother-in-law, and he killed his three sons. He killed all the family members he had around him. In fact, when he knew that he was on the brink of dying, he actually had uh, many of the notable people in the city arrested and gave orders that the moment he was to die, they were to be killed. Because he knew that nobody would shed tears for him on the day he died. So he was going to make sure that somebody wept in the city on the day of his death. Is that not absolutely despicable? He was the epitome of self-consumption, selfishness, of power and privilege. You know, I am always amazed at the lengths that some of those in politics will go to to keep their earthly power. I don't know if you've been watching lately, but it's been interesting just as we've transitioned from one administration to another and we've heard all the different things that are coming to light in different states, whether it be in in Illinois or other states that we could throw out there as well, how we will find people who will will sell uh, things for power, they will sue for power, they'll bequeath it to a family member. Politics is the embodiment of self-interest. 
I'll just tell you right up front, don't you be fooled by the selfless political speeches you hear that go on in America. I say, bull-loney. It's all about self-interest. It's all about power and privilege. What's in it for me? That's who King Herod represents. The second group is the one we'll just call all of Jerusalem. Herod wasn't the only one troubled by all of this. All of Jerusalem was troubled as well. And all of Jerusalem, I think, represents the selfishness of a populace that is just self-interested. That's the selfishness of the masses. I mean, Jerusalem heard this announcement that a king was going to be born. And all Jerusalem needed, in fact, it was the last thing that it needed, was a new guy upsetting the apple cart with Herod. They could get caught in the crossfire of whatever it is that was going to happen. Jerusalem had a history of changing leaders constantly. And so they were saying, the last thing we need is upheaval. The last thing we need is somebody upsetting our apple cart. We need to keep things just like they are. Let's just keep the economy stable. Let's just keep our security stable. Let's not do the right thing. Let's just do the stable thing. Let's not cause a big uproar. We don't care much about principle. Let's just keep it all just as as even keeled as we can keep it. Are you getting my drift? It's the selfishness of the masses. You know, you heard an old phrase that sometimes we'll chuckle at, if mama ain't happy. Yeah, so you know that old phrase. Well, I'll give you a new phrase that went on in Jerusalem in those days. If Herod ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. They did not care about a king. They did not care about the savior of the world. They did not care about what his mission was. They didn't care about what God thought about it. They didn't care about what God was trying to do. They didn't care about any of this. We just, just don't, let's just not get anything in an upheaval. It might cause our, 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 our economic system and our wallets to diminish. It may cause me to lose my job. It may cause me to, to, to not have the influence that I once had. It may cause this and that. Folks, we live in a time period in America when we are more concerned about what's in our bank accounts and our, and our points of power and influence than we are on what's right before God. That's the selfishness of the masses. The third group were the chief priests and the scribes. This group represented the selfishness of religion. Sadly, religion, as selfless as it espouses to be at times, can be just about as selfish as the first two groups. The selfishness of religion manifests in different ways, of course. Many of you will remember that Jesus told the parable of the good Samaritan about the guy that was robbed and left for dead in a ditch. And there were three different individuals that walked by him. The first two individuals were those who represented religion. They walked by him and they didn't see this person who'd just been hurt in a ditch. Until finally the third person walks by and it's the good Samaritan and the the whole point of the parable is you can, you can have all the religion you want and still be self-consumed and self-interested and myopic and not looking the direction you need to be looking. And this is the, this is the, the group, the religious group that basically says, even though they hear that the Messiah that their scriptures had talked about, the Messiah that had been prophesied about, even though they're hearing that that day may well be coming to them, they were the group that said, hey, we don't want a Messiah messing with our religion. 
We, we, we don't need God fooling around with our religion. Isn't that kind of paradoxical? Well, why would someone who is in the religion business not want God messing around with their religion? Well, at times, God will mess around with your control. God will mess around with your perspective. God will mess around with your selfishness. I mean, some people want their way more than they want God's way, even as they sit in a church service. Is that not amazing? I mean, it's amazing that all through the years, I've seen this through the years, I've seen people, I've seen people run godly pastors out of churches and then say, well, thank God we got our church back. Well, you may have got your church back, but last time I recalled, it was God's church. It isn't about getting your church back, it's His church. And religion can be as self-consumed as anybody in the world. I mean, I'll just be honest with you, even in our circles, and we are a full gospel, Pentecostal, charismatic type church, and we believe in the blessings of God, and you know me, I will teach you prosperity, and I will teach you healing, and I will teach you faith, and I will teach you the miraculous, and I will teach you the supernatural. But folks, I will also teach you that if we don't hear the whole counsel of God, what happens is we become this big bless me club. Bless me. It's all about getting me blessed. And it turns into this self-consuming prosperity. We build bigger barns and we get more toys and we just fill our lives up with stupid stuff and junk. And I just believe God prospers us not so we can just fill our lives up with stupid stuff and, and, and all the other things and, that we have around us. And I, and I enjoy life as much as anybody, but there's a place where we've got to understand that God, God blesses in order that we can be a blessing. See, we got to get a hold of this. God gets it to us, but he's got to get it through us. There's got to be a point where, where we look at our toys and we say, how many, to how, many to how many toys can I play with at once? Have you ever seen a child that has more toys than he knows what to do with? I mean, I mean my children, unfortunately, there have been moments in their growing up years, they've had tons of toys. We, in fact, we have, eventually, I remember this, we had to pack up some toys, put them in the attic, because we couldn't have them all out at the same time. And then we just switch out about every six months and you pull out this box of toys and they'd rip into it it's like another christmas for them and so we've got more toys that they're on overload and so they get all these toys and some of them will be getting more toys and I, you know we bless our kids and we want them to have nice things i'm not picking on that i'm just saying there comes a place with you can't play with 50 things at once i mean you can't do your jet ski and your snowmobile and your your cycle and everything at once are you with me? Say, well, I, I like doing it though. And, okay, well, it's cool. But the point being is, is that make sure it's not turning you into, God got me this. God got me that. God got me, yeah, he got you so much that you can't get yourself to the house of God anymore because you're too busy playing with your toys. But God bless you. Amen. That wasn't in my notes. That was free. So we have all these Grinches here. All these Grinches that are self-consumed at various levels, but then these Magi show up. And they had the capacity to break out and overcome that inner Grinch. So how did they do that? How did they overcome? Let's talk about that. The Magi were not first century, I wrote down here, first century autograph seekers. They weren't like Jesus groupies. 
You know, they were over there in Persia and they heard the Lord was in the land. So they're going to take this long trip because the Lord's throwing a concert over there in Bethlehem. And, and if we get there early enough, maybe we can get a backstage pass and maybe we can get an autograph. That wasn't exactly how it was working. There was, there was something inside of them that wanted to selflessly worship the Lord. They declared clearly. They said, where's the new born king? We have come to worship him. And so I just want to give you a couple things here. Three things, actually, that I just want to touch on that help them overcome their Grinch nature. And I think it's something we can learn from as we overcome ours. Number one, they had their focus on the right thing. These magi had their focus on the right thing. It's fascinating that these magi did something that was politically, at least in our era, incorrect. They stopped by their local government to ask directions about how to find Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Although it's interesting as well that the trappings of secular power didn't cause them to lose their focus. They stop where the the halls of power are. And as they go to the halls of power, they ask this question and everybody that's in power begins to give them their attention. And it's interesting that as they're getting attention from all of these powerful people, the trappings of that power didn't cause them to lose their focus. They were focused on the Lord. Our problem today is when we finally get a little attention with people who are in power, we lose our focus. We get brain cramped. We get a little TV time and we lose our focus. We get a little attention from politicians or people in government. We lose our focus. We, we have people sort of venerate us and, 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 and underscore what we're doing and we lose our focus. And these guys walked into the halls of power and they didn't lose their focus. Can I suggest this to you? That if God were to give you a promotion or if he were to grant you influence or if he were somehow to open up a door where suddenly you were able to walk in to an unusual situation with powerful, powerful people, Can I just suggest to you that he would perhaps trust you with that moment if you just resolved not to lose your focus. Don't lose your focus. I've said to myself, Kevin, if you ever, if you ever are interviewed by Larry King, don't lose your focus. If you're ever invited to the governor's mansion, if you ever get to go to the White House, don't lose your focus. Keep your focus. There's an old hymn, you know. Uh, here at Legacy, we don't, we don't sing many hymns. The reason we do that, I was in a discussion uh, even recently with another pastor. And he was talking about uh, hymns. And they sing hymns. Nothing wrong with that. God bless him. And so we were having this discussion. And he said, uh, and this is just giving you an insight into, into my, my thinking. Again, he's not wrong or I'm right or vice versa. But he just said, you know, that's, that's, just a, that's a good way to teach doctrine to your people. And I looked at him and I said, listen, man, they may know the tune, but they ain't hearing the doctrine. If you're teaching your people doctrine by what they sing, you're in trouble, number one. Now, I believe you need to teach people doctrine. Let's just teach people doctrine. But when we sing, we worship the Lord. I'm not worshiping 
you know, the, the, uh, you know, I don't have to throw out a bunch of theology and doctrine. God, you know, you don't want your kid, you think about this. Do you, do you want your kid to come up to you and say, it, like, it's coming to its mom, little kid coming to its mom and say, oh, <laughs> oh, bearer, oh, bearer of human beings. How much I appreciate your willingness to suffer sacrifice. For, I mean, maybe you would like that as moms. I don't know, but I don't know. But you hear what I'm saying? You're like going, what, what happened to you? Just, you know, no, you just want to hear, love you, mom. You're the best, mom. You're the best, dad. You're the greatest. They, I mean, that's really, that really does it. Do you think it's that much different with God the Father? I don't believe so. That's why. Why waste, why waste our worship time declaring doctrine to each other when we should be adoring the Lord? See, that's my view. See, I don't want to teach you while we're worshiping God. Let's just worship God. I'll teach you in some other way, fashion, or form. All right? So that's not saying it's wrong. It's just kind of the way I think. I'm just kind of giving you insight into my into my psyche. It's not that anybody's wrong if they do it. I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm just saying that's just kind of what I've come to. But there's an old hymn. That's a rabbit trail again. <laughs> How many of you know when pastor's on a rabbit trail? Can you sense when he's on a rabbit trail? Okay, very good. There's an old hymn, though, that, that is sung that I remember because some of them were ingrained into me. And, and you'll know it instantly. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace isn't that true to overcome the carnal nature you got to get your focus right you can never break out of selfishness until you focus on the selfless one when you see how he is given when you have seen what he has done, how can you not be compelled to respond in like manner? I've already said this, but I'll say it again. The reason for America's economic hardship isn't just for dunderheads on Wall Street. It's to get our focus back on the right thing. I'm meeting increasing numbers of people. It's fascinating to me. They're coming by the church. You know, I, I, for years I thought, how do you get people to stop by a mall to check out a church? Well, just have a few lose their job. And they'll come in and they'll just go, I just lost my job. You'll go anywhere to find help when you're in tough times. And I'm here to tell you America is facing tough times. And I personally believe we might shovel trillions into the deal. But if God says, I'm getting your attention, it's going to be like throwing money down a black hole. We better get our attention back where it's supposed to be. And when you get your attention back through these painful circumstances... What happens is the, the selfishness begins to be turned into selflessness. So they had their focus on the right thing. Number two, they acted sacrificially in that focus. They acted sacrificially in that focus. It's fascinating to me that a group of non-Jews... Now realize these magi were Persian. They were non-Jews. And yet these non-Jews were willing to sacrifice... In order to come worship the Lord. Everybody else in Jerusalem. There's where the predominant number of Jews were. That worshipped the one and true living God. They weren't moving. They were just right next door. But here are these non-Jews. That are coming to worship the Lord. They sacrificed their time. 
I mean, it took two years to travel to Judea. Can you imagine starting there in Persia, probably on camel, that probably is true in your nativity scene. Two years on camel to travel to Judea, taking two years of your life to come to a place to worship the Lord. Two years of your life to say, I am on a pursuit, I am on a, I'm on a journey. Come on, people, two hours to worship God's tough on us in America, isn't it? We want to go to express lane. Give me express lane. Fast. Drive through. They took two years sacrificing their time in order uh, to underscore this focus. Secondly, they sacrificed their treasure. I don't know if they took the treasure of others. I don't know if it was their own treasure. I don't know if they cashed in bonds, CDs, you know, put in their 401ks. I don't know what they did. But I don't believe that this was pocket change they were bringing. They were bringing enough to finance another family for a couple of years. Not to mention to finance their travels for a couple of years and back. I don't know that this was just the easy money of kings. This might have been the hard-earned dollars of teachers. Those of you that are teachers, you aren't rich, are you? You aren't holding out on us. I mean, teachers are notoriously underpaid. I mean, these guys were teachers and instructors. I mean, they were, they were probably making a living, but it's not like they were big bucks. But they had to sacrifice something out of, their, out of their life in order to pursue the Lord. And you know, in our circles, I'm just telling you, in our circles, and this is, this is what we need to be as legacy. We need to be a full gospel church that believes in the Holy Spirit up front and central. We need to be a church that sees people delivered from their bondages, see people healed from their diseases, see the workings of the Holy Spirit miraculously in our midst. But we've got to break out of the... The, the years of this, this charismatic silliness that somehow or another has developed just these crazy things. And we got to get back to the full gospel, the whole counsel of God. And sacrifice, sacrifice is becoming a lost concept in our circles. Sacrifice is giving something up that's legitimate in order to accomplish something greater. David said, shall I give the Lord that which costs me nothing? The things that I value the most are the things that I have sacrificed for. Do you understand that the reason America today is not valuing what it has is because it refuses to sacrifice for what it needs? We'll let young people go across several thousand of them and sacrifice their lives in Iraq and Afghanistan and God bless them. But for a lot of people, they aren't going to be sacrificed out of their economy. No, 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 no. We're not, we're not going to pay for anything. Don't you stop the way I'm living in order to keep the rest of America safe. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We've got to learn sacrifice again. There was a war that I wasn't a part of, but I'll bet there were some of you that can remember when there was a war that took place and they rationed your sugar and they rationed your tires. And they rationed things in your life, your gasoline. It's because there was sacrifice in this thing. And America accomplished great things, but the sacrifice is somehow slowly evaporating from us. The next generation at times doesn't value much because it's never been challenged to sacrifice. One of the things the Lord told me was that we're going to value our, our new church building because... Some of us sacrifice for it. Now, let me just share this. Those that sacrifice for it are going to value it. 
When those that sacrifice for what we do out there on, on Main Road, 945 Main Road, when we come into that building and we worship God, there's going to be a new level of worship and a new level of adoration and a new level of joy. And we're going to be in a position for a new level of blessing and a new level of outpouring because some of us have sacrificed in order to get there. Some of us have given up legitimate things in our lives in order that we could be a part of something greater. There's going to be a, a great... A great adoration. Now hear me. There will be those that didn't sacrifice and those that will come and enjoy the sacrifice of others. And they'll praise too and they'll enter into the joy. But it won't be like some of us who will have our arms upraised and say, Lord, because I gave even at times what I didn't have to do. Amen. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. I value, I value this local church because I know the sacrifices that I have made and some of you have made in order to be here today. Sacrifice. You'll never know what something means to you until you sacrifice for it. That's a great evaluating ruler in order to determine what it is you will do to demonstrate that which is of value to you. You will sacrifice in order to, to break out of the self-consumption and begin to be selfless again. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. David said, will I give the Lord that which cost me nothing? David understood. David understood that something, something, it just, we just can't give God what's easy. We got to give God what costs us. And then God suddenly says, whoa, that cost them something. And he begins to move. See, this is our problem today. This is, by the way, I'm on a rabbit trail again. That's where the Lord is. You know, the Lord's in rabbit trails. Listen to me. One mistake, I won't say it's a mistake, but it's just an amendment. And it's true. It's true that I said this, and it's true that it's true. Remember when I said, if God will get it to you, can he get it through you? Remember that? Now, it's true because the Bible says he will supply seed to the sower. The scripture says that. But you know what our problem is? Here's our problem. Our problem is, well, Lord. I'll, I'll, I'll do anything if you get it to me. But I'm not going to adjust anything in my life. But you get it to me, you can get it through me. As long as I don't have to sacrifice, get it to me, you can get it through me. Are you hearing what I'm saying? There's a legitimate place of saying, I've got to have seed in order to do what it is God's asking me to do. But there are times when God says, are you willing, are you willing, to, are you willing to sacrifice for some things that are of value? Sacrifice will touch your Grinch, man. I guarantee old Grinchy will start stirring at that particular moment. Number three, they were open to detours because of that focus. The Magi didn't get to go straight home. After years of searching, God took them on one last detour before they went home. I don't know if you've ever been on a trip and you've been tired and you've been worn out. I know that for me there comes a moment... Even when I go on vacation, I mean, we've been planning this vacation. We've set aside monies to go on vacation. We've done everything we've needed to know in order to enjoy this time away on vacation. And there comes a moment when you're ready to go home. And I don't know about you, but when I'm ready to go home, I want to be home. I want to be in my own bed. I want to put my feet under my own table. I want to sit in my own chair. I want to have my own remote that I have memorized in my hand, not that one in the condo that I have to, don't know what I'm doing, 
I mean, I, just, I, want, I want the things that are important and, and, and home around me. And there's nothing worse than when it's time to go home to somehow or another not get to go home. Because you just sort of have this yearning. And think about this. Here's these magi for at least two years away from home. I suspect some of them probably had family waiting for them at home. They certainly had their familiar surroundings at, at home. And I'm sure that they worshiped the Lord and they, they accomplished their God-given task and they fulfilled the purpose that the Lord had put on their hearts and they'd done everything that they were supposed to do. And, and I can imagine that in their mind, as, as fulfilled as they were in accomplishing the will of God, wow, I'm looking forward to going home. And all of a sudden the Lord says, time out. No, you don't get to go home. You've got to go on a detour. Let me tell you, when God starts putting detours in your life, old Grinchy is going to get touched. Whenever God brings a change of plans to your life, it will challenge your concepts of selfishness and self-consumption. And there comes a moment that that you've got to realize, and that's the only way you can deal with the carnal nature, and we've been doing it all these weeks, is the carnal nature is, this is what I believe, I don't know that you can suppress it, it's got to be crucified. It's got to be broken. It's got to be yielded to the place where you say, Lord, it's not my life. That's what Paul said in Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. I'm not, it's not me anymore. It still looks like Kevin, it still talks like Kevin, it still functions a little like Kevin, and unfortunately, a little bit of Kevin and maybe a lot of him comes out from time to time. But ultimately, it's not I who lives. I don't, I don't get to choose what it is that I want to do. I, I mean, it's not God, here's my plan, bless it. It's God, it's your plan, I want to be in the middle of. It's not, Lord, this is what I'm doing. Bless me in it. It's, God, what is it that you're doing so I can step in the middle of it? It's not, Lord, what is the shortest, the most easiest? Uh, easiest? You can't do that, can you? Most easiest. That's not good English right there. So obviously that was not under the anointing. What is the, what is the easiest? It's not that. It's, it's Lord, what is, what is your plan and what is your way? Come on, folks, let's break, out of, let's break out of the mentality that says, well, if God makes it easy and He opens the door and He favors it and it's smooth, it must be God. No, it may not be. God may say, take a detour. It's going to take a little bit longer. It may cost you a little bit more. That's me. That's me. And you're saying, well, surely, surely God wouldn't evaporate more of my money and more of my time and more of my energy. Why not? It's not you who lives. God will renew your strength and cause you to rise on wings as eagles. God will restore the years, he says in the scripture. God will bless whatever it is you've had to release. Do you not get it? That God will absolutely multiply back to you whatever it is you think you've lost. All he's looking for is someone who will say yes unequivocally to him. Unequivocally. No caveats, no, no small, you know, lettering exceptions at the bottom. He just, whatever you say, Lord, that's what I am going to do. And when you yield to the plan of God, when, when, you, when you yield to his purposes, when you say yes to him, I'm going to say this. Do you know that I got, a lot of our young people, when I say young people, college people are, 
are away at Christmas this week, and they'll be gone for about a month or so before they come back to school. But do you know, it just blessed my heart. I'm getting emails from college kids that have been coming to our church. And they've been writing me emails saying, Pastor Baird, that's inc- that was incredible. God spoke to me about being selfless. And whatever I'm going to do in life, I, I know I have to give myself away for his causes. Had another email that came to me. And that email said, Pastor Baird, God's calling me into the ministry. And he's, and he's calling me to, to give my life and declare his word to the nations. And I don't know where that's going to take me, but I'm going to follow it. And you know what? God will bless them. And he will underwrite them. And he will sustain them and strengthen them. And it's not a wasted life. They're giving themselves to the greatest thing that you could ever give yourself to. Nothing worse, nothing worse as parents that we can do is to look at the dreams of our children and somehow look at them and just say, be practical. It is time we look at them and say, no, be God-like. Follow the plan of God. Follow the purposes of God. What can I do to help you in this? But that takes yielding that inner Grinch. It takes yielding that self-centeredness. So we wrap all this up. I, I uh, want to show you one last clip. It's a neat one of the Jim Carrey film. And you know, the Grinch had his epiphany. He had his moment when he realized that that something had to happen. And you know, he had the moment on the mountain when he was leaking and he was crying and and now all of a sudden he wants to change and he wants to turn it all around. And I just thought it was a great clip as to what you can do as you overcome your Grinch. And so guys, are you ready back there? Go ahead, douse the lights, watch the screen and enjoy. Oh well, it's just toys, right?
says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, the truth is today that there are probably folks here that the only thing that stands between you and an incredible supernatural moment and the plan of God for your life and the purposes of God and fulfillment and contentment and peace and joy and hope and all those other wonderful intangibles that are never important until you need them. The only thing that stands between you and that moment of receiving all of those things is not the devil, it is not the people around you, it's not even God himself. But the thing that stands between you and that moment is you. It's just you. It's your nature. It's God's call. You, you sensed his call. You sensed his tug. You sensed his pull. The enemy isn't blinding your eyes. People aren't really holding you back. There are many things you do without the approval of people. It is all boiling down to simply you. Whether or not you want 
all that God has. And this is the deal the Lord gives. He gives all of, all of himself to you when you give all of yourself to him. That's why, that's why for some of you it ain't working. You think you get all of God when you only gave him about this much. That's the deal. He gave his whole life on the cross in order that you might receive all of his righteousness. But he wants to receive all of you. That's why we call him Lord. We don't call him part Lord, do we? Don't call him sort of Lord. We call him Lord. And today he's asking, are you, are you willing? Are you really willing to overcome that, that inner Grinch? Would you stand with me, please? Holy Spirit, you are honored in this place. And Lord, we recognize as a people that you are the one that brings to us presently all truth, all the work, all the benefits. You bring the things we desperately need and you produce in us the awareness of those things. So Holy Spirit, we recognize that Right now, you're coming to, to bring affirmation to some. Holy Spirit, you're coming and you're pouring your hope into others. You're restoring people's joy, giving them peace. And Lord, we're thankful for that. And we appreciate that. But Lord, right now, I know, I know that you're challenging some folks this morning. And yes, it's even reaching to the place of conviction. Where you're working in them to such a degree that that you're calling them out from themselves. You're calling them out from where it is that they have been consumed with just their own little deal and not realizing that they're not consumed with you and they're not consumed with what goes on around them. Lord, all of us in this sanctuary this morning would have to come before you and say that there are areas of great selfishness in our life. It doesn't take much to see self-consumed moments. But Lord, there comes a yielding and a breaking to where, to where we at least see it. How it must grieve you when your people function in it and they can't even see it. It's just the way the world works, we say. That's the way business is. That's the way, that's the way it happens when you get around humans. I, I mean, we have all the sayings as to why, as to why we can function selfishly. But Lord, this is the moment, the moment when your spirit comes to us and whispers in our ear and says, is that really what you want to be known for when life's all said and done? Is that really, is that really what you want to expend your life on? I personally believe, folks, with every head bowed and every eye closed, that the world isn't looking for perfect people. I, I do believe that they, that they have enough sense to know that nobody's perfect, airless in performance. But what they're amazed by are those moments, those glimmers of selflessness. It's a mystery to them. It's an enigma to them. Those moments of selfless action. When there wasn't anything in it for you, when there wasn't anything that, that you got out of the deal, it was just a purely 
selfless act that demonstrated something beyond what a human being normally does. That's what will arrest the attention and change this world. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. We've been talking about consecration and this is the last moment. We're going to move on. We're going to move next week and the weeks following to some other things. I believe the Spirit of God wants to speak into us. But this is the last opportunity we have for you to be able to just say in a public way, Yeah, Lord, that's, that's what I want to be known for. Selfless, selfless acts. A yielding of my life giving you everything not just a piece of it here and there but Lord opening up every door every room of my life and saying it's yours and so we've just been pausing at the end of service and just giving folks that moment to slip out from where you are and to come to an altar this is where the sacrifice took place in an Old Testament context they brought they brought the sacrifice to the altars and it was there that it was consumed God calls us according to Romans 12 to bring a living sacrifice that's yourself and in these last moments I know many people have knelt maybe everybody's done business that's needed to we'll rejoice together but if there be one or two then I want to give you opportunity I don't need to see the altars filled I just know if one or two were to be able to say that's me, that's me I'm going to give a living sacrifice before I go today And, and we've just been asking folks to kneel if you don't mind if you just kneel where you are it's just easier to be broken that way I think to kneel before the Lord. Paul said, I beseech you, brethren. He wasn't beseeching the world. He was beseeching the brethren. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice. The world can't... See, this this type of message, the world, it isn't really for the world. Because unless you have some understanding of what Jesus has done for you, I'm not sure you're fully capable of doing this. But once you've walked with him, there comes a moment when he calls you and says, do I get it all? Do I really get it all? Do I get it all? And here's the cool part. When you give it all, you're in a position where he can release it all. That's the generation that will do the greater works. That's the generation that will do the exceeding abundant thing is the one that gives it all. Praise God for these that have come. And I know many of you have already. And just keep walking it. Isn't it true you got to consecrate yourself every morning? Every morning you got to get up and say, Lord, it's your day, man. It may be a tough one, but I'm in it for you. Come on now. Let's not, let's not be the wimpy, tepid, full gospel crowd that the first time a little challenge comes their way, they're ready to tuck tail and run and whine about where's God and all. Come on now. We're going we're gonna to be, be the ones that we're going to be in it for the long haul. Come on now, be in it for the long haul. Don't be in it for a day or two, be in it for the long haul. God can do incredible things. Holy Spirit, we're going to take just another moment or two. Just let the Spirit of God, we do things differently. Sometimes we'll sing loud songs, sometimes we'll spend quiet moments. But I sense the Holy Spirit just kind of moving up and down aisles and in people's lives right now. Come on, let him work on you. If, if you're okay before the Lord, don't rush to leave his presence. Come on, we're celebrating. It's Christmas season. Celebrate his presence this morning. Invite him in. 
embrace him in a brand new way hallelujah hallelujah come on what's on the altar right now for those of you that are kneeling right here the only thing I'd ask you is this just make sure you know what's going on the altar your whole life your future hear me now you gotta put your don't put today just today you gotta put your future on the altar come on now it's his future really come on put it up there however this however your life shakes out it's his His plans, His purposes, His agenda. Tracy's favorite verse is Jeremiah 29. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Hear that, for I know, the Lord's speaking, I know the plans that I have for you. He didn't say, I know the plans you have for you. He said, I know the plans I have for you. Come on now, it's time you knew the plans. You yielded to the plans. Some of you know what that means. Some of you have no idea what that means. It really doesn't matter. If He gives you years notice or if He gives you a moment's notice, it's his plan and it's good and it's acceptable and it's perfect and right now put it on the altar I want everyone together right now just if you're standing if you're kneeling everyone together I'm not going to lead you in a prayer but I want you to do this for just one moment just begin to say either a fresh or a new or say whatever he's touched you on say Lord it's on the altar I, I present myself I present myself a living sacrifice Lord, I, I just lay it all on the altar. I, I, Lord, let my Grinch die this morning. Let it be crucified this morning so that it is no longer I who live. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Lord, I release my agendas and my, my plans and my selfish purposes it may look noble to others, but if you know it's your plan, it can still be selfish, as noble as it might look. Come on now, the God's really digging deep in some of our lives right now, but that's okay. The deeper he digs, the greater his work. Deep calleth unto deep, the Lord says. And here's the cool part. As that part of you dies, resurrection power floods into that arena right there. He doesn't raise the same thing up. He raises up His presence. He raises up His plans. He raises up His purposes in you. The only way He can raise up that in you is when your stuff dies. So let it go. Say goodbye. Goodbye. Lord, thank You for renewing that in hearts right now. Lord, I see. I see right now You renewing things in people's lives right now. In Jesus' name. Thank You, Lord, for doing that. I'm looking at everybody that's kneeling here right now. And, and you don't, don't have to look at me, but I'm just declaring over you right now that God's doing a brand new thing. He's getting you prepared. I'm like Joshua. Do you understand? This is what Joshua looked at the people and he said, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow we go into the land. Do you hear me? The Lord's saying, consecrate yourselves for next week's the last Sunday of the year. And the next Sunday is 2009. Consecrate yourselves because we're going into a new year. Consecrate yourselves because we're going into the land consecrate yourselves because there are going to be enemies that will stand against us yes there will be giants but consecrate yourselves and they will fall consecrate yourselves hallelujah hallelujah everybody together with me say in the name of Jesus I welcome you Lord 
and all of your dealings. I present myself that living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto you. That's reasonable for what you've done for me. And I ask you now to transform my mind, to break the patterns of this world, that I might have the mind of Christ, that I might know quickly, more quickly than I've ever known, the heart of God, the mind of Christ in my life and around me. I welcome that. You are good. Your dealings are good. You don't leave me in death. You raise me into life. And I receive newness of life this morning. The death has touched deeply, but resurrection power has come greatly. And I rejoice in that. I rejoice in my future. I rejoice in your plan. I thank you for your purposes. I am grateful to expend my life in something beyond me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on now, let's give the Lord the great big hand he deserves. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Now listen to me, I'm going to cut you loose right now. And it's Christmas this week. Don't forget Christmas Eve. But folks, I want you here. I need you back on, on next Sunday because we're going to talk about the fast. And, and God's going to show us, I'm going to tell you about what it means to fast for our breakthrough. You know, every assignment, listen to me, every assignment has a birthplace. And I believe we have an assignment as a people. And I believe you have an assignment as a person. And I think one of the keys, the reason we've not birthed that thing is because we've not found that place of birthing. And I just believe the Lord has called us as a people to fast. And I believe when we fast, that we're going to begin to see some things happen in individual lives and people's lives that uh, we've not seen, that we believe for and know that God can do. But we wonder, why has this not happened? I'm telling you, I believe that if you'll enter into this with the rest of us, if all of us together begin to enter into this, I believe God will do something for you individually and he will do something for us corporately that will dramatically change who we are as a people. We're going to birth the assignment. We've got to birth 2009 next Sunday. Are you hearing me? Next Sunday, I know it's still 2008, but we've got to birth God's purposes in 2009 next Sunday. I, I got to have you here. So I know some of you will be away, you're traveling, all those things are in order. But let me tell you, I'm praying right now, if you need a new alarm clock for Christmas, oh God, give them a new alarm clock. If, 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 if there's something in you that just says, well, I've done the Christmas season and now I can relax, Lord, put it in them that, that they can't miss. The key to your future may be next Sunday. It may be. You don't want to miss that, do you? I wouldn't think so. I, I really want to see you here if at all possible. So Lord, bless your people. Now, I really mean this. Lord, bless them. They, they, they are a sacrificial folk. They've given, they've, they've achieved goals. We've done missions work. Lord, so many things have been accomplished through this people. And, and Lord, it seems like to even ask for a greater depth of sacrifice might seem, Lord, somehow uh, just, just not, not valid. But Lord, you called to us to give it all away. And, and the thing is, when we give it all away, you give us all there is of you. And what a deal that is. So Lord, 
Help us, help us right now to not regret that, but to rejoice in that. And Lord, bless your people. Keep them safe as they travel. Lord, let them be blessed around family and friends. Lord, do something incredible, Lord, in this next week that will really underscore your love for them, I ask in Jesus' name. And all the assembly said, amen and amen. Hey, love each other. I hope I see a lot of you tonight. We hope to see you there. God bless you. You're released.